When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Reality Radio for a really great future. We're talking real money. All right, let's try this one more time, shall we? Hi, welcome to the Talking Real Money podcast and videocast. I am Don McDonald. The last time we did this, it failed miserably. So Tom and I are going to do it again. It's technology. Actually, when you think about it, this technology is pretty cool, and it's relatively new. The fact that we can sit in two locations uh, and not spend tens of thousands of dollars for this connection, which back in the old day, to do a video connection, you, you, you spent a fortune. Now it's done some weird way on the Internet, and uh, it just didn't work last time. We're not sure why, but the folks at Riverside promise us they're going to try and figure it out. Anyway, hi, I'm Don McDonald in Florida. That over there is Tom Cock. Hello. In near Woodenville. He lives uh, near the wine country for a good reason, because, you know. The wine that you have with cheese, not the wine you have because you're well, complaining. <laughs> and actually, his office there is the wine capital of uh, of Talking Real Money. Uh, 855-935-TALK is a really important phone number. That's the way you can get in touch with us if you have questions. And boy, do a lot of you have questions. It's just that most of you tend to write them in at TalkingRealMoney.com. So we're going to try and get through some of those today. But today's show is about the securities industry. The financial services industry. We have the occasional beef with the bulk of the business. Um, and and I think we have it for good reason. I see a, a lot of you are fine with your stockbroker, your financial planner, whomever, because they just wreak niceness. They're just nice. But the reality is they get in trouble all the time. They get called on the carpet. They get uh, sued. They they they, well, they they don't get sued because <laughs> they wrote contracts that said you must go to arbitration with us. Now that wouldn't be so bad if the arbitration was truly unbiased, that you were getting someone who would listen to the facts and rule based on those facts. Not any alliances with either the consumer, the customer, or with the industry. Now, you're, you, would, you would think you'd get that in an industry where the regulations, the regulators, were also independent of the industry. But the problem with the financial services industry, particularly the brokerage industry, is that they are regulated by themselves. The Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, or FINRA, is actually a group of people who work for the securities industry. The organization is funded by the securities industry. It is called self-regulation. 
And I just don't know about self-regulation, Tom. I and don't. when you so when you when you buy a security from one of those members of FINRA, you sign an agreement that says, as you pointed out correctly, that you will, if there's a dispute, go through arbitration, arbitration that they have set up, which involves a, the, a panel of people that have been in the industry and, and usually one person who is not in the industry. So I, I have a relative who's involved in this process, and I don't think it passes the fairness test, the smell test, if you will. And and recently we found a case where you could pretty clearly see that the odds, well, they weren't only stacked up against the person bringing the claim. It turned out that the people that were defending themselves sort of lied, cheated, and stealed. And then finally an independent judge did throw the whole thing out and say it wasn't done properly at all. Yeah, it was the the company in question was the firm that – really lately has been the poster child for bad business behavior this the is company, volkswagen little company no bad bad uh, financial behavior ah okay not diesel behavior oh okay I was gonna uh, say, this is the company that was that was that was found to have created accounts without customers permission oh good lord a uh, lot of different things just to pad their bottom line you know the anything they're the anything for a buck bunch there at wells fargo now uh you know wells fargo used to be the guys who were protecting your money against bandits on the uh the back roads of america now apparently they are the bandits um they're taking advantage of their clients so the 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 judge in georgia i think it was fulton county in this case wells fargo won a judgment against the firm who sued them and against the person who sued them okay yeah well actually it's a group of not persons. sued either by the way uh, arbitrated complaint yeah yep uh wells fargo got their legal fees ordered well the judge who heard the appeal said this is egregious. This is awful. The arbitrators in they claim the judge claimed in conjunction with FINRA, the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, that they conspired to put biased arbitrators, there's a panel of three arbitrators, in this particular case. And the judge was livid in uh, the ruling with the with wells fargo and with the with finra now finra of course and wells fargo have tom guess what they've done that, that i think there's a thing called appeal no they've denied they've denied oh, deny. Denied, deny. Denied, okay. denied denied yeah. denied 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 there even if it's true you deny deny yeah. deny 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 that's the new way of doing things you don't you never admit you've new. done wrong yeah okay. deny 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 uh, so, um, you just, here's the issue. This is really what it comes down to. Who can you trust? Now, remember, registered investment advisors are regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission, a branch of the U.S. government. Stockbrokers are regulated by the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, a division of the financial industry. Who do you think you can trust more? Not that you can totally trust any of them, but who do you think you can trust more? You know, I'm going to go with the one regulated by the U.S. government, um, registered investment advisories. Due to their registration, they have a fiduciary obligation to their clients. They are required to put your, the client's, interest first. 
required. Now, of course, we all know that doesn't mean they always will. Of course not. No, there's bad fiduciaries out there, of course, right now. But it puts the odds, it, it just tilts the odds slightly in your favor. So if you are dealing with a broker-dealer and not in a 100% fiduciary capacity, you might want to reconsider that. Yeah, and this gets back to something that you pointed out a long time ago, and that is only work with a 100% fiduciary because so many of these firms, Wells Fargo included, of course, are duly registered where they are a broker-dealer and a registered investment advisor. And guess which one they tell you that you are when they come in the door? Oh, we're fiduciaries. Yeah. Absolutely, we're fiduciaries. But if you want to know, it's the one, there's a really, for most of them who aren't totally obfuscating, who, who haven't just whitewashed their website, that one of the easiest ways to do it is to go to the firm's website, scroll down to the bottom of the page, and there's usually a paragraph that says, you know, we're a registered investment advisor with the Securities and Exchange Commission. That doesn't mean doodly, doodly, doodly. Um, and we're also a member of FINRA. We're a broker dealer, blah, 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 blah. If you see broker dealer in FINRA, then you know, you know, you are not dealing with a 100% all-the-time fiduciary firm. And only hire a 100% fiduciary firm. Do not work with anyone, and again, this is something easy to find, that has any sort of black mark. Oh, yeah, that's the other thing. Um, hmm. Yeah, uh, they're called disclosure events. Yeah, I call them black marks. They call them disclosure events. Yeah, sure. if you go yeah. to broker check. Um, brokercheck.org or .com. I think it's .org, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> even though it's run by FINRA. Uh, you will see, you can go to the firm or you can go to the individual and see if they have disclosures. Look for disclosures. I did this recently and found that uh, that that there are a lot of firms, with uh, big firms, with a whole lot of disclosures. Yeah, now, you, what say, you find is, yeah. They'll you, say, we have lots of clients. Every once yeah. in a while, something bad happens and people complain. And there are places that that end up sort of housing many of these bad advisors, and, be, and they they have reputations for. Can I say it? Being like the old Oakland Raiders taking whatever reclamation projects in, and uh, you know, yeah. sort of oh, really? Now you buffing that. them up? You, you I know. It. I'm, I'm going to go out that there. The, that the Raiders are the misfit the misfit toys <laughs> of football. There you go. There you go. Uh, and who thought it would come to that? Especially Super Bowl weekend. So, um, again, well, and, and the other thing, just real quickly, the Securities and Exchange Commission, starting in June, is going to start publishing a list of I saw the that. brokerage firms that have the a history of bad behavior on the part of their their employees, and uh, they're gonna they're gonna start. Also, they're going to start uh, forcing them to put up a whole bunch of money to cover claims against them. So at least maybe come June, we'll start getting a little bit more information on the really bad, the the egregious firms in this industry. And, and again, you need to know that. I, I think hiring any unethical organization that does have those folks working there is a reason, or I would not hire anyone who has any of those unethical, it's an unethical organization. So um, that does this, that sort of houses people because they know they're producers, right? They know they're bringing bucks in and they sort of look the other way. That was part of the article that you're referring to, Don, about where, the, where they're going to make them sort of disclose all this. They know all these things. The mm -hmm. people that hire bad, they, they know that. And they just say, yeah, but for a while he's going to or she's going to bring money in, make us a lot of money. Well, it's a, the cost of doing business. We'll pay for it later.
There's so nothing like a good. Be... There's nothing like a good crook on the payroll. <laughs> so you don't want to hire anyone who's not a 100% fiduciary. You don't want to hire anyone who is has any disclosures or black marks. Period. That's a way to protect yourself. It will not completely protect yourself. And in fact, in the Wells Fargo case, the gentleman involved who made the claim really was invested in something I find completely inappropriate. And this is part of your knowledge. You need to know enough to say, no, that's not a thing. I don't want my money in something like that because you're going to, at the end of the day, have to protect yourself. I'm sorry to say it, but this industry, (laughs) self-regulation, it's the most ridiculous. Come up with an analogy. I mean, you can't even come up with one that's reasonable when when it comes to that. So, no, you think of the chicken, uh, the chicken coop, and the fox. That the yeah, uh, you know, instead of the chickens <laughs> being in charge, that they've said, "Hey, fox, I think the association of foxes should regulate how many chickens get killed." <laughs> yeah. mm, sounds good to me. Sign me up. Anyway, so you know, it. This is again, it, it's caveat emptor, truly, in this industry, and that sounds horrible, but it's the reality. Now, we try to answer a lot of your questions, and we do have quite the pile of them in my inbox right here. Um, 28, 27, somewhere in that vicinity that we really need to get through. So, Tom, I'm sorry, but you can't go to work. You have to answer questions. <laughs> okay. Now Take that I've got you, you're stuck now. here for okay. the rest of the day. Yeah. Uh, actually, this one is a really good question. This one's, oh. th- This is one of my favorites. Um, it's about investing in mutual funds and ETFs. It's about our philosophy. It's about the advice we give. Uh, hey, guys, really appreciate the show, and I've learned a ton. On the Friday, January 28th edition, I heard Don comment that while both of you believe in index funds, that with Investory, you don't use the exact funds that we suggest on the air or recommend on the air. Don went on to say you use funds from DFA and Advantis, among others. Can you help me understand why you use those funds as opposed to traditional index funds? I've certainly heard of DFA and know they are not traditional active funds, but I don't know what makes them different and why their version of active is okay, in your opinion. Don's comment was timely as I'm looking for a global REIT fund right now. I'm considering the iShares REIT, R-E-E-T, or the Avantis REIT, A-V-R-E. Expense-wise, there's a three basis point difference, essentially the same. Why would I choose one over the other? Any specific recommendations would be much appreciated. Thanks for all you do for all of us. But let's step back and talk about the difference between pure uh, vanilla index funds and the aforementioned dimensional funds, Avantis, and... You really have to be honest and say it is somewhat active management. It's not active in the refer- in like yeah, buying stocks and stocks and and timing markets that kind of thing. But we'll talk about how it is different than okay. So go back. An index fund holds the stocks or bonds in that particular index in the appropriate amount according to their size. Generally, in other words, their capitalization weighted. So if you own the S and P five hundred. About 20% of your money goes to, I think, the top five or six stocks. It's just you're weighted to those large holdings, right? Conversely, the people at dimensional funds, for example, based on the fine work of Drs. Fama and French, found that really owning smaller stocks and really sort of tilting portfolios to value stocks, these sort of beaten down stocks and industries, has been more productive. It's created greater returns over time, greater volatility, 
greater risk, but it's made you a little bit more money. So when we manage money, we do not use just the pure vanilla index. Nothing wrong with that. Mm -mm, The reason that we can do it, the reason that we can do it is because we do it full time. We have very fancy computers that tell us how to do this and when to sell certain things and buy again. It's not active, but it's rebalancing, rebalancing from one to another. It takes a certain amount of work to have a 15 fund portfolio rather than just a three fund or two fund. So that's why, and no offense, but we're professionals. This is what we do for a living. So we're comfortable doing that. Oftentimes, you know, I've given out our portfolio. It's, there's no secret to it. The, the, the actual Mm -hmm. funds that are in it, but I don't, I tell people, I don't know. There's a good idea to go do it on your own because there's things like momentum in there too, Don, if you want to explain what momentum is, you know, that are, that, 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 again, these are all, it's complicated talking about. These are, these are called factors. Uh, dimensional calls them dimensions of return. They are little tiny bits of, of differences and they're tiny that have over time, very long periods of time we're talking they these guys these academics are looking for for these differences over 20 30 40 50 60 70 years they're looking not at a year or two they're looking at a long term and there there is a ton of evidence to support the fact that over a 10 plus 20 year plus period value stocks tend to outperform growth small cap stocks tend to outperform large cap stocks uh, momentum. Momentum just means that when a stock is on a roll, that that momentum can carry its price up, even if it doesn't deserve it. And there, there you are. See the Cincinnati Bengals for that one. You can understand the analogy. They, they were on a roll. Yeah, yeah, um, on a roll. And there, there are programs that help do this, but all of it is disciplined. Everything they do, there is no human. Judgment. Emotional judgment. Yeah, that's yeah, a, that's that's a yeah. great way to put it. Yeah. But what all of these things have in common is something so simple and ridiculous and something that many of you just despise. The only reason, and you can ask any of the academics this, Gene Fomo, Ken French, Mar- uh, uh, back in the day, Markowitz and his gang, you can ask any of these people, they would tell you the reason they make more money is they involve more risk. It's so, By so, the way, so simple. Have made more money. Have Back to the money. question about REITs. So my guess, and I haven't really taken much time to look at the Avantis REIT, is that what you would find if you pulled it apart is it probably owns a little more smaller REITs, maybe a little more value tilt than the other. I can't remember the company that runs the other REIT. REIT it, was, it was the iShares, R-E-E-T. iShares, which R-E-E-T. is going to be – a pure index. It's so going they to be a pure different funds. index. That yeah. is correct. How different they will be over the long haul. You know, again, as Don said, these are small differences. But the thing is, when you add up small difference from the REIT and you add up small difference from U.S. small value, and yet all these little differences have made a bigger difference <laughs> over time. So that's the reason we manage money that way. Again, Nothing right or nothing wrong about just having a three-fund portfolio. It turns out that having all of these has made you a bit more over time. I'll put it And I got to tell you, the difference long-term between REET, the iShares REIT fund, and ADRE, yeah. mm-hmm. the Avantis fund, 
is going to be it's likely going to be very very small yeah, very small like the difference but, in price but, not but much i i can pretty much tell you from the little bit of work i've done that the Avant, tom's right the avantis fund looks a little bit more aggressive in its approach than does the reet there they are skewing more towards the smaller companies and the like and here's a, will it I work just i don't thought. know yeah we don't know here's the here's another thing to consider about using avantis or dimensional or momentum all of these things what i see is those will not always look like the market right you will wake up in the morning and you'll say the s p 500 is up two percent and they'll look at my portfolio and say wait a minute my portfolio is down a half a percent that's right they don't all look the same and this is the reason why it's going to make sense for most of you to just own pure index funds because once you start seeing differences between what your portfolio is doing and what the indexes are doing, that's when the trouble generally starts. People want to, I don't want to own that anymore. I'm not, I'm not making what the market's making and they end up selling at the wrong times. And they do not get those little differences that Don talked about the, the premiums of owning those asset classes. So again, it sounds elitist in a way, but the reality is we do this every day. Hey, we're snobs. Whatever you do, whatever you do, you do every day. So I'm going to let you do that. We're going to do this. So it, it has worked over time. I'll put it that way. If you're a doctor, I bet you're good at doctoring. <laughs> I would stink at it. If you're a lawyer, I bet you're good at lawyering. I would stink at it. I'm good at this. Tom's good at this. We all have our places. We're all in our places with bright, shiny faces. <laughs> oh, God. I knew that was coming next. And we have to do one more question just because. All right, here we go. Yeah. Uh, in response to a recommendation on a previous show, it was recommended to hold ETFs in a taxable account due to possible capital gains distributions from mutual funds, i.e. the Vanguard target date fund fiasco. Does this apply to the old tried and true VTSAX Vanguard total stock market as well? Or do you see the this potentially having the same issues as target date funds? I'm leery of ETFs, mostly because I don't fully understand them. Also, I like buying dollar amounts instead of full shares. Vanguard's does not do partial shares of ETFs. Lots of great info on the show, and I enjoy it every week. Do I think there's going to be another meltdown from a major vanguard fund the way they did with the the uh the target date fund no i do not i think the lesson is probably learned there and they're going to be a lot more careful about that in general those target date index funds are tax efficient generally not as tax efficient as an exchange traded fund remember it's exchange traded fund exchange is the key word there the securities inside there are merely exchanged rather than sold and purchased so there is no taxable event inside of that fund it does make a difference if i was just starting out today i in a taxable account i would be using the exchange traded funds instead of the mutual funds absolutely no question uh and uh you met you mentioned the uh the vtsax which is the vanguard total us yeah. fund um and it does distribute capital gains uh, as a matter of fact, I think there was actually there probably was something pretty, from last year. Uh, yeah, I looked it up, I, and I don't have it in front of me right now, but I looked it up recently, and they had a pretty decent distribution. It was oh, 
I can't remember how big, but it was it, it would have it, you would have had to pay taxes on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas with the VTI, which is the ETF, you wouldn't have had a capital gains distribution. Just the money just keeps rolling back in. So uh, there's a huge advantage over a long period of time. It's only a little every year, and I think it outweighs if you're in a higher bracket too. I think it totally outweighs the inconvenience of not being able to purchase whole shares because the reality is with VTI, it's $200, 200 some odd dollars a share. So instead of buying $20,000 worth of it, you're going to buy 18,000 and chain or uh, uh, I'm sorry, 19,800 and something or 700 and something um, to get the round shares. So I just don't think it's enough of a, a, a reason to give up that tax advantage. I concur. And again, you can buy anywhere. You can buy these ETFs for nothing. They generally are a tad cheaper than the index fund version. So you really have most of the advantages today. Yeah, tad cheaper. Let's see. VTSAX. Well, (laughs) I don't know how much cheaper you can get at Vanguard. Yeah, I mean. VTSAX is uh, 0.04. That would be four basis points? Uh, yeah, four basis points. And VTI, uh, is, is, drum roll please, <laughs> three. three basis points. Yeah, okay. So you just saved yourself one basis point. So, right. okay. Okay. No. All right. We're, we got to go now because Tom has to go to the office and talk to some clients and stuff. Don't you? Do you? I do actually, yeah, yes. I thought you might. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're so glad that you join us for this podcast. We truly are, and we are honored uh, to to work with all of you and to talk with all of you because it is a true joy. This is the thing we I, I most look forward to is spending time with all of you all over the country, all over the world. <laughs> I mean, really, we, we have a huge, you know, our second biggest audience internationally is now China, beautiful Italia. Ah, okay. Well, that's good. Okay. We're Maybe very make popular some with the we Italians. Go visit them. Exactly. Right. I'm ready. I'm, I've never been to Italy. I'm dying to go to Italy. I don't want cool to die place. in Italy. I'm just dying to go there. Yeah. Anyway. So thanks for being a part of it. Tell a friend. Follow us on Apple Podcasts or subscribe on your favorite podcast service. If you really love what you hear, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Rate us on Spotify. And oh yeah, and share us on your social media. I don't see a lot of that. If you really like a podcast, just go hit the share button right next to it on most services and put it up on Facebook or tweet it to someone or Instagram it. I don't can you Instagram a podcast? Oh I think you can. Can you TikTok us? I have no clue. <laughs> I I all I know is we, oh. we talk, but I don't know if we tick. Uh, and uh, in the meantime, before we do another one, um, remember that we are reading about researching and talking real money so you don't have to. We hope you realize that the information provided on Talking Real Money is for informational, educational, and hopefully enjoyable purposes only. Providing personalized financial planning or investing advice takes time, so please consult with a really good fee-only fiduciary investment, tax, or legal advisor. We know a good one. Investing must always involve risk. In other words, you can and probably will lose money at times. Also, as much as you want it, no one can accurately and consistently predict the future, so past performance doesn't tell you a darn thing about what the future will bring. Unlike many other programs that say something similar, Talking Real Money is not trying to get you to buy or sell any financial products or securities. Instead, the program 
program is provided as a public service by Appella Capital, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Thanks for listening, and please visit TalkingRealMoney.com for more information and disclosures. That's a wrap.